admit that I love Instagram. How many of you guys are on Instagram? I was an early adopter. I was on Instagram early. And one of the things that they had that was different than other social media sites was that they had this thing called filters. So like you could take like, you know, a whatever picture with your iPhone, I don't know, seven at that point. And they had these filters that would make you look better that would make the place that you're sitting in brighter, you know, like um, they would have these blurring effects so that you couldn't see all the pores and all the wrinkles or all the bags under your eyes when you were celebrating Christmas morning with your kids, right? Um, It was so cool to be able to um, change what the picture looks like without needing skills to be able to do that, you know? Um, And, you know, now there's all this, these makeup products that say, oh, you know, like I could, it, it, it blurs your face basically, right? Like it has the ability to blur all the harsh lines on your face, or it has the ability to kind of fill in all the spots that really shouldn't be there. Or it makes you look like you're lit by candlelight. And don't we all look better when we're lit by candlelight? You know, like you don't need to see all that extra stuff. There's a reason why dates happen with candlelight, right? You know, like you're like, oh, he's so handsome, right? Like, and then you come out into the harsh like, oh, wow. Like I had no idea that we were sitting down for a date, right? Um, we all look better in candlelight. But if you were to go in for an eye surgery, you would not want that to happen by candlelight right? You would want the brightest light on you because the surgeon is there to remove any imperfection in your eyes so that you would be healed and, and, and perfect, right? You don't want him to like not fully be able to see where the issue is or, or be squinting and, and trying and saying like, well, I mean, I think I pretty much got it. Like that is the last thing you want your surgeon to say when he comes out of the surgery is, I think I might've gotten everything, right? You want the harshest light in there because you want healing. You want to get better. Um, And so we are in a series. We've started a series last week called the I Am Series. Belongings of the soul. And in the book of John, Jesus says and declares himself as seven things. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. And what we see there is not just that he's making declarations about characteristics about himself, but it is also in connection with the longings of the human soul. That each thing that he is saying about himself, a characteristic about himself, matches a longing of our soul. So last week, Dom shared about how Jesus is the bread of life. And it coincides with our human longing of every human, a longing for soul satisfaction, right? So he does not just say, I am the bread of life and just throws it out there, but he is addressing a longing of our soul. This morning, I wanted to talk about Jesus saying that he is the light of the world, right? And what it fulfills in us is a longing for freedom. So in the book of John, in John 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Now, In John, the context in the Bible is that there is the imagery of light all over the place, right? It talks about light, God bringing light, right? But also God being light. It talks about um, God um, being the light of the world. And in Psalms, it says that, God, you are the light and the salvation, right? Um, Who do I have to fear? The prophecies refer to the Messiah and salvation and their savior as light. 
And even in the book of John, there's already a lot of imagery about light in chapter one, in chapter three, about how the true light has come and the darkness cannot penetrate it. Now, when Jesus comes and says, I am the light of the world, he's saying it to Pharisees and to the Jewish people that are sitting around him. The Pharisees have issue with him. I mean, big surprise, right? But what he's saying is that I'm connected to God in a significant way. I am your salvation. And they're needling him about his authority. Who do you think you are that you get to say that you're the light of the world, right? And they talk about this idea of witnesses. And I I encourage you to go ahead and read more into this. I'm not going to get into the... um, all of the chapter of that, because it goes on for a while, but you'll see that they kind of go back and forth. Jesus says, this is who I am. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And the Pharisees are like, why, who gives you authority to say this? Who are your witnesses? Now in the law of Moses, if you are to make a claim, um, you need two witnesses to say that that claim is correct. Now, I don't know if you remember in the book of Mark, John the Baptist goes before Jesus and says, here is the guy. He has come to bring salvation to the people. And then he goes and gets baptized and the heavens open, right? The dove descends and you hear a voice saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. A lot of theologians say those are his two witnesses, John the Baptist and God, right? But in addition to that, if you continue reading in the Gospels, you'll see Simeon was a witness. The people who are healed are witnesses of his authority, right? There's a lot of witnesses, but the Pharisees are not happy with those witnesses. He's like, who are your witnesses? And Jesus like, God, the father is my witness. Well, I didn't hear it personally from God. Who are your two witnesses, right? So they go back and forth on this. And at some point you wonder if you're reading it, you wonder, are they seeking for the truth or are they just wanting to be right? Have you ever been in a conversation with someone where you're like, I am making all the cases and it doesn't really matter here because they're not actually wanting to find out the truth. They just want to be right. Probably none of us here, right? (laughs) And at some point, what Jesus says is this. He says in 831, And well, it says that the disciples, there were numerous people who heard him and believed in him. And he says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And the uh, invitation to that, even as he's talking to the Pharisees is this, hey, I'm laying out the truth. And if you know the truth, it will set you free. The Pharisees are not happy with this and they do not want that. Now, I want us to go ahead and find out the context of this conversation of why they refuse to receive Jesus' word. Because if you look at it, you'll see, oh, actually, he's laying out a very clear case. So right before this is 8, 1 through 11. And um, we see this story, and I'm going to read it for us. Um, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All All the people came to him, and he sat down and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in his midst. They said to him, teacher, the woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commands, commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to 
this they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to him, women, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Now, one of the first things that we see is that the Pharisees are coming to trap him. They're trying to bait him, right? So what's the bait? Now, in this time, the Romans had removed capital jurisdiction for Jewish courts, except for temple violations. And so it is true that the law of Moses says that, hey, if you break the law in the Jewish law, then you can stone those people that are caught in adultery. So if Jesus doesn't condemn this woman, he's compromising his patriotic Jewish following and saying, oh, yeah, I don't really care about God's law. If he does stone this woman, then they can bring him to Roman court and say, hey, he broke your law. Now you can convict him. So they're using this woman as bait. Now, I wonder, they said that we caught this woman in the act of adultery. That is not an easy thing to do, right? So you've got to wonder, like, what are they scheming to catch her? What are they doing to be able to catch this person in the act of adultery? And where is this guy? Right. Because it takes two people to be in the act of adultery, not just one. Right. So where is he? Why is it just her? They grab her in the act. So she's probably half naked. They drag her in a very public square where there's mostly men. In front of the holiest and most put together leaders of their city. How must it feel to be this woman? shame, horror, fear that you're probably going to die for this choice that you made, right? Maybe even a little bit of anger, anger herself for going down this situation that she found herself in, that she would be condemned by people angry at this guy who said that he loved her, but skulked away and had her carry all the consequences herself, right? I don't know. What must it be like for this woman? And what was it like to be a woman in those days, right? They were expendable without rights. Their value was only based on who they married and how many kids they had. And not just how many kids, but how many boys they had, right? They didn't have a lot of choices. They didn't have a lot of options before them. And so she is brought before Jesus and it says, Jesus, what are you going to do? What should you do? And they're waiting because they want to condemn him too. And Jesus, he bends down and he writes on the ground. Now, the funny thing is a lot of commentators focus on what he writes on the ground, right? What did he write? Is he writing like the Ten Commandments? Is he saying something like mysterious that they have to lean in and look? We don't know. John does not tell us any of that. That is all, you know, we can extrapolate what he might be writing. But if I was a director and I was seeing this happen, 
right? This woman that everybody's looking at and pointing at and maybe ready with their hands over their stones, ready to condemn this woman. All of a sudden, Jesus comes and very slowly, mysteriously starts writing in the ground. All of a sudden, all the attention goes off of her and onto him. Oh, what's he writing? What's he doing? What's he going to do? Right? All the attention goes off of this woman and onto Jesus. And that's the first thing, right? Before anything else, the heart of God always goes to cover shame, right? The heart of Jesus is always to take the shame off the woman and bring the attention on himself. When Adam and Eve fell, they ran and hid from God. And when God, and, and they try and cover their shame and their nakedness with leaves, which you can imagine is not great as clothing, right? But that's all they can manage for themselves. And God comes and looks for them. And one of the first things that he does is he makes animal clothing for them out of skins to cover their shame. That is the heart and the response of my God right? Is that the first thing he wants to do is cover our shame because that has no place in his kingdom. Now he, he is standing there taking the attention off of her. And it says the Pharisees shine a light on this woman to expose her, to condemn her to death. This is the law. This is justice. Jesus then shines a light on all of them. Oh, we want light. Okay. Let's shine a light right? Whoever is without sin, cast the first stone. The brightest light does not make the most horrific sins more exposed. It makes even the smallest sins obvious. The brightest light does not make the most horrific sins more exposed. It makes even the smallest sins obvious and exposes everyone. The only person left is the one person who has a right to condemn. And Jesus says, well, I'm not going to do it. That's not why I'm here, right? Because for him, he does not shine the light and expose to condemn and shame. He does not show the truth to say, ha, now you need to pay for it, right? He does it so that she may experience truth and in facing the truth, freedom. I think sometimes we think if we know the truth and we share the truth, there's no freedom. It will just give other people access to attack me, right? To judge me. I don't think we always think that truth equals freedom. But for this woman, all the choices were taken from her. She did not choose to be exposed, right? She did not choose to come free with the truth. She might have made the choice to be in relationship with this man who did not have the respect or the love for her to marry her. And I wonder what must have happened in her life that she felt like she had to make this choice, that she was willing to make this choice. What does she believe about what she was valued that she had to choose into this relationship? What other compromises did she take in order to keep this hidden? When we choose something that isn't right, that is sinful, we end up medicating to deal with the shame and the guilt, right? One vice compounds another vice. We have to lie we have to isolate ourselves from the people who most love us. We have to hide, right? We have to stay in darkness to be able to keep up that thing that we invited into our lives. It enslaves us and tells us that, man, people can't find out or else you'll be unlovable. Don't let that truth out or else you'll be disgraced. You'll be ruined. You'll be kicked out. And here she is without the choice of exposing herself. 
but she is in her worst case scenario, right? Everybody knows her dirty laundry and now she's going to stand and be condemned for it. But what meets her in her worst case scenario is a man who covers her shame, who's still able to look her in the eye and extend mercy and love. And what Jesus does here is he restores the choice back to her. He gives her the freedom to choose. He doesn't tell her, look, you've made a lot of bad mistakes. And obviously you're not, you shouldn't be responsible for your choices because you've made some really bad ones. So I'm going to take those choices away from you. But instead he says, and now that we've exposed the truth, I'm going to invite you to choose again. And I want you to choose a life away from sin, right? He offers her a new life lived in truth. His freedom is something that we get to choose. There's so many things in our life that we cannot choose, right? What family we're born in, what life circumstances come our way, who our kids are and, and, and what kind of temperaments they have, right? What jobs are open to us and what closes, who loves us back and who rejects us, right? Sometimes it feels like we're just living a life where we don't get a lot of choices, There are women all over the world right now, not just in Jesus' day, but right now who don't have freedom, who don't have the freedom to choose what they wear on their heads, if they can go to school or not, what they do with their lives and their bodies. But Jesus gives her another chance to choose when their society has said, you don't get any choices. You just get to be told what to do. And when we're done with you, we'll tell you that too. Jesus is the one that restores the choice to her to choose a life. Now, it is after this interaction in 1 through 11, in verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, that interaction with the women, the Pharisees were around and he called them out and he was like, yeah, we have all sinned. Who has the right to condemn this woman, right? Guess what? That interaction made them real mad. (laughs) What did the interaction with the women reveal about their own hearts and what they thought about what God should stand for, right? Why do you think they're needling Jesus during this whole chapter? And honestly, I can understand where they're coming from. Who does he think he is to come in here and judge me and tell me that I'm sinful, right? What authority does he have to come and tell me that I'm I have sinned and I'm just like this woman. I am not like this woman. I have worked my whole life to be good, to be right, to be on the side of God. I care about justice. She's the one who broke God's law and she deserves punishment. I know God's word. He is holy and he wants her punished. They hold the holiness of God, but the fruit of it is condemnation. And at the end of this back and forth, at the end of chapter eight, It tells us that the Pharisees try to stone Jesus because if we don't want, if we don't get to stone this woman, we will stone you because you stand for a system of freedom and forgiveness. And we are not about that system. We want a system of rules and punishment and justice that is more appealing to us. And so we would rather stone the son of God than to adopt this system of forgiveness where it's okay to stand before God as a broken person. They want worldly light, worldly justice. Jesus' light doesn't bring condemnation, but an opportunity for freedom. It brings truth, 
but not to shame us and cancel us. We don't have to be afraid of the light, right? When we are exposed, we don't have to be like, oh no, now everybody gets to see me for who I fully am, right? In all my brokenness with all my enlarged pores and all my wrinkles and all the ways that I yelled at my kids this morning so that they could come to church and worship God, right? They're going to see all of that. But I wonder if even in the midst of all the fear and the horror and the shame that this woman felt, that there might not have been just a sliver of relief. That for a long time, she had been lying. She'd been hiding. She's been having to stay in the darkness because of what she's chosen. And maybe for a moment, she was like, even if it means that I pay the consequences of my actions, that there is relief in the light that I don't have to hide anymore. That everybody gets to see fully who I am. And for that moment, there is relief. Because listen, we all long for freedom. We all long for people to fully see us as we are, but we want the second half of that freedom, right? We want people to see us for who we are and still love us and still accept us and not be judged by it and not be disgraced or ruined by it, right? We want to be able to be honest about all the ways that we need help or that we're not perfect, right? And we want acceptance in that. All of us long to be free, free to make our own choices, but more than that, to be free of all the junk that ties us down, that makes us do things and say things that we really don't want to say or do, right? I long to be free of my anxiety that robs me of my ability to be present because my mind just goes straight to all the what ifs, right? And that enslaves me of my heart and my mind. I hate that, right? I long to be free of my need to be put together and perfect, to just be able to just do it on my own. I love to be a person who is just capable. I love to be able to be like, yeah, bring it. You want, you need more stuff done. I can do it and I can do it excellently. Right. But in the midst of that, there is something crushing. There is something so crushing about needing to be put together and needing to be capable and perfect because no one is able to do it perfectly, right? No, everyone is going to be crushed, you know? And, and if I say, wow, like I'm not, I can't do it. I'm going to actually fail at this, man, the people that I will disappoint, what people will think of me, whether or not they ask me to do it again, all of that weighs on me. And then I'm like, yeah, no, that's okay. I'll just figure it out in the dark. I'll just figure it out in the dark. I'll just push through and tomorrow's going to be better, right? We long for the light. We long for freedom, but it is so much more comfortable in the darkness. Jesus' bright light sees all the darkness and sin. He wants to free us of that. He is a meticulous surgeon. And when different things come up, he's going to shine a light on that. And we get to choose whether or not the surgeon comes and removes it. Or if we're like, ah, no, like, let's bring back the candlelight. <laughs> let's not, let's not shine your light in this area. This area, I'm good. Like, why don't you shine on this area? This area, I'm totally willing to work on. But this area, yeah, let's, let's not touch that, right? Let's not touch that. Sometimes we think that freedom is just being able to do whatever we want. But once we've lived some life, those of us in here that have lived some life and have chosen some of what we've just wanted to do, 
we realize there's certain things that we do and give access to that only entrap us more, right? So when Jesus says that he's the light of the world, he is offering us what our souls long for in freedom, right? So that when I know that I could disappoint everyone and fail at my job, I will be okay. I will still be loved and accepted. And there's another chance. It does not have to have a hold on me. It doesn't mean that I don't try, right? But it also doesn't mean that like all of my value and my identity is on that, right? There's certain things that we hold so tightly. And when we hold so tightly to something, maybe the question is, why am I holding so tightly to this? What do I think that this says about who I am and whether or not I'm valuable? When I see my own heart responding in criticism and bitterness, the question is, what is going on for me right now? What is Jesus shining a light on right now? I can choose freedom to have Jesus change my heart to create in me a clean heart, or I can just be like, get out of this room, Jesus. Do not shine a light on that. I just want to sit in my criticism and bitterness, and I just want to be mad, you know? Jesus gives this woman back her life. And he invites her to a new start, a second chance at life. Now, when Jesus says, go and leave this life of sin, I have to confess that from my rigid, just do better church background, what I hear Jesus say to her is, okay, you screwed up. I saved you this time, but do better. Like, get out of here, you know, like stop doing that stuff. And I don't want to see you sin anymore. I'm not bailing you out again right? And I feel a little claustrophobic, but I know the scriptures and I know that that's me and my own voice, right? Not Jesus. Because I know that what Jesus cares about and Jesus does is that we're given grace upon grace, that we could come to him with the same thing that we've sinned in over and over again. And Jesus is going to say, yeah, I forgive you again. I forgive you again. Let's do it again. Let's, let's work on that again right? I'm still the meticulous surgeon that's working on healing you, right? That, you know, he's not saying, okay, I've saved you this time. Sin no more ever again, right? But I share that confession because I don't think I'm the only one that struggles with unconditional love and grace, right? So sometimes I hear that and I'm like, oh, never sin again. You've been forgiven. Now don't do this again, right? If I'm honest, my perfectionistic tendencies make me a lot more like the Pharisees than Jesus here. I would like to just build my life on a system where I can just do better. And if I can compare myself to someone else and be like, well, I'm not doing that bad, <laughs> right? That feels easier for me than just coming broken and asking Jesus for forgiveness and needing his grace every day. Now, the beauty of that is that God invites us into community right? And in community, we have people that are like, oh, that seems hard. Can I help you? Right? I have, I have a friend in this congregation that is very good and quick to ask if I need help. And that shines a very unfortunate light on me all the time. And she doesn't know that, but it does for me because it makes me have to ask myself, do I need help? And me having to say over and over again, no, I got it. I'm good. I don't need help right? Just makes me feel like, wow, I am a total liar. And she exposes something in me that I don't love being exposed. But 
there is a beauty about us being community with one another and asking some of those questions, even if we don't mean to expose that says, Hey, you don't have to carry this by yourself. And there is just something so beautiful about that, that Jesus wants to set us free in. And some of us are great at asking for help and others like me are awful at asking for help. And I just wonder if Jesus also uses our community to come around us, to expose us and shine lights. And we get to respond to that, right? Now, one of the ways that I want to invite us into doing this is in the discipline of confession, right? We talk a lot about confession here, but I just want us to kind of get into the nitty gritty and talk about why and how we do it, right? We say that we aim to be an authentic community that makes Jesus Christ fully known. Why is that? Like, why do we say that? Because when Jesus is the light of the world, we don't have to be afraid, right? We can be authentic and we can be broken and we can be not perfect and, and confess our sins. And Jesus is there to love us and accept us as who we are. And so we don't have to be afraid to speak the truth. Even when the truth is that we're all screwed up, that we messed up big, that we couldn't hack it. We don't have to run and hide from our brokenness. In our, authentici in our authenticity, we are declaring who Jesus fully is, right? That there is someone who makes us free and redeemed. And it isn't just because we are trying harder and doing better. It's because Jesus shines a light and it is a light that loves, not a light that condemns, right? It is the fake perfection the thinly veiled judgments, the us versus them that displays a Jesus that shines a light to condemn, not embrace. And, you know, we don't want the world to think that that's Jesus. Unfortunately, there's quite a bit of PR that says that that is Jesus, right? So when we say that we aim to be an authentic community that makes Jesus Christ fully known, the reason for that is because we want Jesus to be fully known, not in, not in this picture that he wants to show all the ways that we're broken so that he can condemn us. That is not his way, right? So how do we confess? How do we be an authentic community? So we start with reflection, right? We have to actually reflect on like, oh yeah, like what, what is God doing in my life? What is there to even confess, right? A question that helps me is what is God revealing in my heart in this situation? What is prompting me to respond or act in this way? When someone brings up something and I respond defensively, the question for me is not, why is this person such a jerk? The question for me should be, what is prompting me to respond or act in this way? What do I believe that this criticism or this feedback that this person is giving me is, is making me feel the need to be defensive, right? What is God revealing in my heart when someone's asking for help and I keep saying, no, I don't need it, even though very clearly I do need it right? What is going on for me? And God is always going to be faithful to bring it up. And the choice that we have is whether or not we confess it. Because there's a beauty in confession that brings things to the light. And, and we could do this and confess on our own with Jesus. Yes, that is totally true. But there is a power of bringing it into the light to other people amongst us that actually breaks the power of that thing. Um, and so find someone that is trustworthy, find someone that will listen. And I would encourage us to start with saying, I have a confession to make 
Because if we just think, oh, I should talk to my friend about this and we just start talking and Jenica, yeah, okay, my week was like this. I might never get to my confession because I never really wanted to share it to begin with. It was too hard for me to share. So if I start with, I have a confession to make, at some point, Jenica is going to say, so what is this confession that you wanted to make? Right? And if you are a person receiving the confession, take this as an opportunity to speak mercy and love, to cover shame as Jesus covers shame, to offer forgiveness on behalf of Jesus. Right? And I hope that we are a community where this is a really regular thing that we do, right? And that we would be able to experience freedom knowing that, oh, when I confess that, I'm met with forgiveness and love. And honestly, a lot of times people saying, I struggle with that too, right? I have a hard time with that too. Let's work on it together. And my prayer is that as we step into the light that Jesus shines, that we would actually have depth in our relationships because we're holding one another and carrying one another in these places. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you are the light of the world. We thank you that you come and you see our longing for freedom and, and you bring it. You bring freedom in truth. You bring the freedom as you shine the light into the dark places that we like to hide and, and, and um, stay hidden in. And God, we, we pray that you would help us grow in the discipline of confession, that we would um, deepen our relationships with one another, knowing that this person sees me for all of who I am and not just the polished part of who I am or what I can bring into the relationship, but just all the gross things, all the hidden things. Th these people know me for who I am. And I get to experience the freedom of your love and your forgiveness as I share those pieces of me. God, I, I, I long that people in our world would be able to experience you, Jesus, as, as the God who covers our shame and forgives us and loves us. We thank you for um, your promise. We thank you for all the ways that you love us by shining the light in our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen. Mm -hmm.